My name is Mark Followill. You're listening to another dumb podcast. These guys are freaking morons. Another dumb podcast. No, I like it because it's not dumb. It's called another dumb podcast. That makes sense. So you could have just said, I'm doing another dumb podcast. Again, basketball dumb guy over here. Sorry. On the dumb podcast. We would be doing a little bit of a disservice if we didn't speak on uh, the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I kind of want to do that at the top, but I guess travel talk took over that, but that's fine. Yeah. I was was wanting the Mavs people to come in. (laughs) I just wanted the Mavs people to come in and listen, and then... Is whenever we get into like uh, AEW versus WWE, they can all kind of like go all like yeah. I don't just, no, I don't we want to stick with that too. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, um, uh, so the Mavs, please explain to me what's going on with the Mavs right now. I'm, uh, I'm, I see. What's up with basketball? Yeah, what is up with <laughs> basketball? Question. There. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have anything a little more? Let's narrow it down. Yeah, I do. Anything a little more specific <laughs> as you want me to get into. I do. I do. I have a specific question. How what excited are... should I be for Kristen Wood? That's my biggest question. Okay. All right. All right. I'm serious. That's a big question. All right. All right. I was like, is that guy? Is he really on the team? Okay. Good. Yes, he is. Yes. Okay. Cool. So that was. Look, I love the trade because they traded four players who were non-rotation players in the postseason last year. Right. For somebody theoretically who should be a playoff rotation player. So this, of course, will be the question that you have to ask if we're going to look at it from the whole big picture standpoint with Wood. Very talented, has put up good numbers in Detroit right before the 2019-2020 the season was shut down due to the pandemic. Then signed a good contract with Houston. You know, had his first really, kind of really big numbers with uh, – with, um, uh, Detroit, and then signed the deal with Houston after after that season. So he's put up numbers, but then the question you've got to ask is, how will those numbers that he's put up on bad teams translate to the kind of numbers that he can put up on a team and contribute to the framework of winning? You know, I think that we all should adjust our expectations of, I mean, I believe that this past year, I think he averaged 19 points, 18 or 19 points and almost 9.8 or 9.9 rebounds a game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we should probably adjust those expectations a little bit because, you know, theoretically moving from a team that was record-wise one of the worst in the league in Houston to a team like Dallas, then with more talent on it, then presumably, um, you know, he won't have to carry as much of a load He won't be counted on as much. There won't be as many opportunities to score within the flow of the game. So hopefully he can still be a super efficient player, which he was with Houston, shooting well over 50% on twos and almost 40% on threes. Uh, You know, get a still continue to get a good percentage of rebounds, but also we would expect that his numbers would go down a little bit just because he's now playing within the framework of a winning team rather than just accumulating stats on a not good team. So that's that's sort of my general feeling on Wood. I'm excited to have him here. I think he's a playoff rotation player. But I also think that odds are, I think we would be doing the smart thing to just make sure to adjust our expectations a little bit about what the actual stats will look like. 
but okay, so but we do consider him to be a strong contributor, right? Maybe just maybe not like a all star starter. Right, that, right. Yeah, not like that. But no, he's a he's a playoff rotation player. So and if he doesn't turn into a playoff rotation player, then you know, I think that that would, we would all walk away. I don't think that will happen, but we would all walk away from that being disappointed. Well, so how how so how's it gonna okay? So I it looks like they're getting a little heavy at center. Did I hear right that they're planning on starting JaVel McGee? Uh, that seems to be – well, that's what Jason Kidd said in, in Summer League. He, yeah. he had an interview on ESPN in Summer League where he said McGee would be the starter. So what I would anticipate going into the year – and Brian and I have kicked this around in our podcast. We have not really heard this part of it officially. Obviously, the McGee thing, Jay Kidd addressed it in Summer League that he would start. So he'll right. play the Powell role, and that's – uh, 20 minutes a game of the regular season, and then hopefully can play uh, mid-teens, 12 to 15 minutes a game in the playoffs. Now the question then becomes, who else are you going to start around McGee on the front line? Are you going to go with uh, Finney Smith and Bullock, which was very successful mm-hmm. to do in the playoffs last year? And I would think that that would be the smart thing to do. And then so would – who to me is more suited to be a center than he is a power forward, although he can stretch the floor. But I think ideally then he's playing off the bench, but he's still playing 28 to 30 minutes a game, but he's coming off the bench as a five out big man, as a big man who can. So what is that? So where's that for Jack Howell? Somewhat out of the rotation. Really? Play some, if there's foul trouble or injuries or situation. With this contract? It's an expiring deal. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good then. So that's probably, is that, um, are you thinking that's what the plan is then? Looking for a trade partner for him? Uh, not necessarily looking for it, but okay. I, mean, I think we all understand that expiring deals have value. Yes. Or potentially have value. So that could be something that presents itself before the summer comes to a conclusion or obviously, you know, over the beginning of the, the season before the deadline. I think that's, and yep. if I understand, yep. if, I if I kind of understand how how that would work, a, a team would trade for Dwight Powell if uh, they were trying to dip into free agency next year, and there's a really strong free agency class. Is is that kind of kind of the deal? Oh uh, well, you would do it not necessarily because you're trying to dip. Complicated question. You could do it for that reason, but you also could just do it because you're trying to get off longer term money, and okay. you feel like that you're at a place in the life cycle of your franchise where you want to try to rebuild. And so you don't want veterans on longer contracts. You want to move your longer term contracts. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah the NBA, so, NBA so, yeah, cap has always been a mystery to me. Yeah. The, the value of the, of the firing contract is, is a number of different things. It could be to help a team get off money for luxury tax purposes moving down the road. Mm-hmm. It can be yeah. because they want to rebuild or it can be, as you said, Jacob, because they're clearing cap room because they want to get involved in the free agency chase during the offseason. Yeah. So there's any number of reasons why expiring contracts can hold value to, you know, the right trade partner in the right situation. Okay. Um, so another hold question. On, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think, Go for it. can I be in the podcast? Or? Well, I didn't want to talk about basketball. <laughs> I was, well, what I was trying to frame the question as was just how this team is. I mean, you're losing Brunson. There wasn't, I mean, yeah, Christian Wood was added in. Was there any mm-hmm. other additions? I'm not. Uh, totally... Okay. 
Yeah, um, McGee is a free agent. Okay, McGee was a free agent. Okay. And now you have Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back. Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back. Like, comparable, do they really need to add any more? Or is this team, you know, going to be pretty on par with what they were last year or maybe a tiny bit better? I mean, that's kind of what I was uh, kind of what is the expectations for this team, you know, th- well, for this year? Well, uh, a lot of ways I could go with that. Mm-hmm. Number one, success creates expectation. So, of course, I think everyone's going to go into the season with expectation of another very good regular season to put yourself in position for another exciting playoff run that goes as far, if not farther, than what you had last year. I mean, I think everybody's going to go into the season with that mindset. Uh, obviously, every season is full of twisted turns and you don't know what's going to happen, but I think every team's going to go, or the Mavericks are going to go into the year thinking that way. Uh, as far as what else they need, they do still have an open roster spot. Uh, you know, whether or not that's hedging their bets to see, okay, maybe a trade is going to materialize. I mean, look, there's still this sort of weird place. And, and bear with me, Brad, because I think there's a lot of, there's just a lot of ways to go with your question. And there's yeah. just, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty this off season. So, so just, I think it's going to take a little while for us to kind of sort through all of the different possibilities. I, I know it's, I know it seems <laughs> early to kind of answer that question, but it's just like, as it's sitting well, now, what, no, but, yeah. but but I don't think it is early in a typical off season. <clears throat> in a normal off season, mm-hmm. everybody by the middle of August has done their business, mm-hmm. and people are just getting ready. So what's new, what's unique about this off season is that there's this sort of unsettled thing with what's going to happen with Durant, mm-hmm. what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell, who may or may not be traded by Utah. You know, the supposedly the athletic reported today that. The Knicks and Jazz have sort of re-engaged here very recently on Donovan Mitchell trade talks. So that would open up a whole, you know, that if if Utah trades Mitchell, then obviously that makes other players in their team maybe even more available than they already might be in trades. Beverly, Bogdanovich, Conley, Jordan Clarkson. I mean, and you could you could envision like half of their roster being available in trades if they decide, okay, we're going to go ahead and fully push the button on detonating things and rebuild. And Donovan Mitchell's traded to the Knicks and we get all these draft picks back and we might as well move all these other veterans like the players I just mentioned, Bogdanovich, Beverly Conley, Clarkson. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in Brooklyn. So there's a lot still unsettled in this offseason. So that, that leaves the question open, are the Mavericks holding open this one roster spot because at this point, anybody that's out there in free agency is probably also going to still be there when you're a week or two away from training camp in September. And so you're just kind of waiting to see what the aftermath is of the remainder of the off season. Will something finally happen with Durant that leads to other dominoes falling? Will something happen with Don? The Mitchell that leads to other dominoes falling around the league. By the way, of course, there's the Lakers and what might happen with Westbrook, what might happen with Kyrie Irving and Brooklyn. There's just, there's a lot, to me, there's a lot of uncertainty around big names in the league, which means that maybe the Mavs get in on that in some way. Not that they're trading for one of the big names, but there's some sort of residual impact that leads to them making a trade to upgrade their team. So what do they still need? Well, they still have this open roster spot and whether or not it gets filled by a free agent signing right before camp or whether or not they get involved in the trade market as one of the residual impacts of one of these other big moves that could happen, or they just kind of bide their time and wait for something to happen in the season. The bottom line is this, 
Um, they've lost Brunson. We know this team was at its best last year when two playmakers were on the floor. You can start Luka and Dinwiddie. I mean, you can say that, okay, well, Dinwiddie's just going to replace Brunson. And I don't necessarily have a lot of pushback to that. But what I would say, if you're going to look at it that way is, well, then who's going to replace Dinwiddie coming off the bench Mm -hmm. from last year? You know, so Luka and Brunson started, Dinwiddie came off the bench, and you could play two playmakers most of the time that way. Luka and Brunson to start, and then Luka and Dinwiddie, and then Luka sits, and you play Dinwiddie and Brunson together. You're always playing two playmakers. Two playmakers, two wings, and one big was the best lineups that Dallas would put on the floor last year. So they're short in that regard. Uh, You know, their other playmaker at this point is Nilakina. You know, Mm -hmm. he's he's the third playmaker, and he's more of a defensive-oriented specialist. I mean, he can initiate offense a little bit, but I think that, you know, before the end of next year, you know, they can go into the beginning of the season maybe kind of feeling this still out. But if they want to be the best version of themselves come playoff time next year, then I think this team still needs another playmaker. Yeah, I agree. I, I, yeah, I think I, I think I was agreeing in the sense of like, again, it's um, it was early, but like we have no idea what's how this season is going to roll on. I, I still think yeah. it's it's a very talented team. Again, dude, it's kind of like uh, well, you have the best player in the game. Exactly. Well, I was trying to make the point of like, you know, yeah. are we the best band? And the Eagles look at it and goes, well, we're not, we maybe we are, but we have Don Henley. I mean, like that's, we're good, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like we'll figure this out and it's not a set in stone that we got to, we got to start with these guys. And we're going to end with these guys. It's things can happen yeah. all throughout the year. So that's why I was yeah. the only point I, I thought I was making, but it's fine. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, to answer your question of what do they need, I I like what they've done with Wood and McGee. So, you know, McGee is what you feel like is a more, is is a version of Powell that gives you more defense and rebounding. Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, I think the numbers would would strongly support that. Uh, Wood gives you somebody who, assuming that they're going to play him in a significant role off the bench, I don't have that confirmed. But, you know, we'll obviously find that out at the beginning of training camp. But that's to be the thing that makes the most sense to me is if you're going to start McGee, that I don't think that you want to start McGee and Wood together where Wood's playing the, the, the four and having to chase, you know, other mobile fours around on the perimeter. He's probably more suited to being a five, but still playing and playing off the bench, but playing a lot of minutes. Um, so I think that you you've upgraded your bench, especially with Hardaway coming back, as Jacob said earlier. You've upgraded the center position, but you know you've obviously lost something at your playmaking spot on the floor with Brunson leaving, and now you have two starting quality playmakers rather than three, and that's something I think that you've got to you've got to figure out at some point in time, whether or not it's in the time we have left before the start of training camp or early in the season or at the deadline. Uh, at some point before next year's playoffs, I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear that that has to be addressed in some form or fashion. Okay. So it took us 16 minutes into Mavs talk to even bring up Luca. That's I, pretty wild. I, yeah, I mean, it was just again, we know he's there. It's like yeah. it's it's really everyone else. He's fine. <laughs> it's just everyone yeah, else. But my, my Luca well, question is, my Luca question is, what can he still improve on? Well, I think what's exciting about Luca Jacob is that he's playing this summer. He's played in FIBA World Cup qualifiers and played well. 
Uh, now they're tuning up for the Eurobasket competition that's going to start here in a couple of weeks. So what's exciting to me is that Luca's playing a lot of basketball this summer and playing at a high level and working on his conditioning where he's going to be, you know, hopefully in – uh, you know, I know this is a an overused saying in sports, but hopefully he's in the best shape of his life to start a season when he comes in here, you know, at the beginning of the season here in a few weeks for training camp. I think that's the that's the exciting thing about Luca. Uh, you know, if you were going to say, like, what does he need to improve upon? I mean, I think that's where you would where you so, would look at. I, I just I have a question and it's not necessarily I'm not trying to make the argument that it doesn't matter. But Luca's skill set is just it seems to me it's a lot of that. It's a lot of skill, a lot of not like it, the way he uses his eyes, the way he, he sees the court, um, mm-hmm. just his skills. He's not like a runner, jumper, you know, dunk over people guy. So mm-hmm. I, I know it can't hurt him to be in better shape, but why is it such a big deal with him? Is it just endurance throughout a game? Like uh, maybe, and not even throughout a game, maybe, but throughout a season, not yeah. getting tired because he hasn't sure. been injury prone. Yeah, no, I think so. it's, it's a couple of things. Number one, he attacks the paint a lot. So there's a lot of physical contact that he has to endure. Now, uh, I think last year, early in the season, if you'll recall, his numbers finishing around the basket were down a little bit. And I felt like that maybe that had something to do with not being in as good of a shape at the beginning of last season. Okay. Uh, you know, And so you don't have the legs or the ability to finish the contacts because you're a little more fatigued. And so that that's one thing, but I think in the bigger picture, it's exactly what you said. He has to carry a very, you know, the team is built and constructed in such a way. And his game is such that he has a tremendous workload on him throughout the game on offense and then he's got to be able to hold his own on defense because you don't want situations like that happen a couple of times in the Phoenix series where they tried to attack him and then they were successful. And by the way, to his credit, I mean, he really rebounded from that part of the, the Phoenix series early on when they were getting him involved in all the pick and rolls. Remember that, uh, you know, late in game, yep. game, game two, yep. uh, you know, he really rebounded from that. And I thought handled himself a lot better on the defensive end of the floor for the remainder of the series. But he has such a heavy workload to carry that you want him to be an optimal condition possible because, you know, uh, otherwise, then what's going to happen is some of the things that we've seen in the past that have happened is after a long season or after at the end of a game in an intense, high level competitive game in a playoff series where he's carried so much of a workload and gotten so little rest and he's playing hard minutes, all those minutes he's playing are not easy minutes. That, yeah, that he wears down, and so he's not able to make – he's missing some shots in the fourth quarter, and, you know, uh, fatigue affects you mentally, and so maybe there's a mental mistake or a turn- turnover or something like that. I think that's Absolutely. where – I mean, all of your points about his game are spot on, but I still think that from a conditioning standpoint, you want to be the best you can be because of the endurance factor of dealing with the heavy workload over the course of the game and over the course of the season. I, I want to kind of – in. Mark can speak upon this, but like I think people sometimes do forget though, like uh as far as Dirk's off seasons, like Dirk worked his ass off. And yeah. he, he didn't have like the build of like 
a LeBron or some some guys who's like really muscular. The guy was super, I mean, super strong. And like you said, going into the paint, you you you've gotta, you can't just go up there and just kind of you know kind of nudge them out of the way. They're not gonna move. So you yeah. have to have that strength there. And yep. um, you know, and another thing I was gonna talk about with Luca, I get what Jacob's saying. It's like, well, come on, you're like he's the best shooter in the league. Whatever, it doesn't matter. He doesn't need. But it is uh, a little funny. Like that's not what I, said. I, I know I'm cool. saying, but it's like. It is a little funny, like, I'm not the best shape, but whenever I watch basketball, I do want the guy to be in way better shape than I am, and I don't look, and I don't look at Luca and go, yeah, man, he's in so much better shape than I am, and I'm not trying to be mean to him, but it is what it is. I mean, again, he's so phenomenal, but yeah, it is something that would be like, man, if you could get Luca on some regimen, something crazy. Like where he is just in a phenomenal shape, not where he's got to be super muscular or anything like that. Somewhere he's got a huge endurance, where he's he's got his strength to, like you say, get in the paint. But there's got to be something there, and, and you know, I know I hate to sound like the old fogies. I know that some people were like, "Oh, he doesn't work out. He just plays video games all summer or whatever, or whatever he does." And I'm like, I don't think he's doing that. I think he does that, yeah. you know, when he gets not home anymore. at the <laughs> he gets home, you know, at the end of the night maybe. But you know, I I think that is a very very important, and I think he would be even fucking better than what he is now if he was just in phenomenal shape. So, well, I think two things on that. You know, uh, number one, he does want to carry a little bit more weight because he wants to be able to post people up. Yeah. So right. there is an advance. So, so you know, there is a balance that you're trying right. to achieve of be in great physical cardiovascular condition. But also, you don't want to slim down too much. You still want the weight to be able to to be able to post people up and then score and yell at them and say you're too fucking small and all the things that <laughs> yeah. he's yelled at, all the things that he yelled at. Yeah, no, uh, yeah so you, want, you want that, of course. But the other thing too is, you know, you brought up Dirk, and Dirk did have an incredible off-season regimen. But Dirk himself has said over the years that he still didn't learn the finer points of taking care of his body and in terms of diet, stretching, yoga, those sorts of things that prolonged his career at the end, uh, you know, uh, cutting out alcohol during long stretches of the season. I mean, a lot of the things that Dirk implemented into his regimen over the course of time were things that he didn't do until he was 26, 27, 28 years old. You know, there were there were things that Dirk didn't adapt in his career until later on. So Lucas, you know, he's 23, you know, yeah, yeah. 23 years old. 23. So so that's, you know, he's he's by his own admission last year during the playoffs, he's still learning. And that means, you know, uh, as it relates to things on the floor and then things off the floor about what you have to do, because this is now a 12 month out of the year job. And so by all accounts, he's been doing some great work this summer and can't wait to see what he looks like when he gets back. Well, I was going okay, to ask, oh, I was going to, because I figured you were probably watching him playing overseas. Like, it, he has to be killing it right now, right? Or is he doing uh, well? He is he doing great well? In a, they, they played a friendly against Turkey the other day, and I didn't see, I didn't watch the FIBA qualifiers. I didn't get the subscription service that you needed to watch, so I only saw highlights. But the numbers were great. The highlights have looked good. Um, you know, the, the clips that I see on Twitter look great. I mean, he looked like Luca. He's... You know, he's playing with his countrymen. He's having fun. 
He's in a competition, you know, and getting ready for a competition that they've won in the past. So obviously something that's very near and dear to him to compete in Eurobasket that they won in 2017 when Dragic was the MVP of the tournament. So, you know, he's he's uh, you know, he's got uh, competitions just like the Olympics last year, which were very, very meaningful to him uh, because it was Slovenia in the Olympics for the first time. And, you know, I think he just loves that stage of international competition. I think it's very important to him, much like competing for Germany was very important for Dirk. I think competing for Slovenia is very, very important for Luca. And he's, uh, you know, he's been at the top of his game from everything I've seen this summer. All right, Jacob, go All ahead. Right, I have one more Mavs question, and then we can keep talking about Mavs. But this is my last question. Yeah, talk about as much Mavs as you want, man. Sure, yeah. Um, okay, so the defense was much better last year, but I remember kind of hearing, probably from you on the ticket, that a lot of the adjustments, you know, um, Jason Kidd, you know, had his own schemes and whatnot, but a lot of it was effort-based, and that kind of took a toll on guys like, you know, Finney Smith and Bullock late mm-hmm. in the postseason. Yes. Um, so with what you might define as an effort-based defense, is that sustainable going into this season, or are there, you know, like with the addition of Christian Wood, are there certain adjustments they're going to make to kind of take some of the pressure off of just pure athleticism on defense and still maintain that high level of production from defense no i mean i think you're looking at the same i don't think anything is changing systemically um you know you hope that that wood can can play the minutes off the bench that he needs to play and hold his own defensively i think he's better suited to play the five uh than he is the four um and i still think you're looking at you know bullock and finney smith having a heavy workload and you know what look if you were going to talk about something else that the mavericks needed and by the way they uh, the the Maverick Brain Trust themselves alluded to this going into free agency uh, that getting more depth at wing would be something that they would want to do. So yeah. you don't have to play Finney Smith and Bullock forty plus minutes in playoff games, and those guys wear down the way that it looked like that they were worn down yes. by by the end of the Golden State series. And that's another thing, by the way, that they didn't address. This summer, so they're either depending on uh, also addressing that in some sort of trade that might materialize here before the season starts, or once the season has started, um, is Josh Green better and ready to step into a larger role? Uh, he certainly improved from year one to year two. Can he make a similar jump in his game from year two to year three? You know, that would be something else that you would look at uh, to try yeah. to to try to you know bolster to your wing depth. But yeah, that's, that's, I don't think anything's going to change defensively for them. You know, Kleba is still a big part of what they do defensively. I mean, he's a, he's a big man, but he's a mobile big man who can guard multiple positions. Vinny Smith and Bullock, like I said, are going to have a, a heavy workload. Uh, right now, the way the rotation shapes up, I would assume that Nilakina is kind of a part of it. You know, he's kind of this hybrid wing ball handler that at least is playing some in the regular season and giving you something from a from from filling you know uh, some of the minutes on both of those voids that i think they have wing depth and uh and uh a little bit more playmaking so yeah there's that's that's a good question and i think that's something else that they'll have to kind of you know see see where they're at as the season starts and where green is and you know, obviously Hardaway is kind of part of their improved wing depth, but I think of his contributions more on the offensive end of the floor than I do on the defensive end of the floor. Green's yeah. Australian. Uh, I'm excited for Hardaway to come back. Say what? 
I'm excited for Hardaway to come back. I was also saying that. Yeah. I was also saying that Green is Australian. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at his yeah. name like, oh, he's I Australian. Was, I thought that's what you said. And it's like, well, that's, that's kind of a non sequitur, Brad. But yes, he is. <laughs> that's all I'm here okay. for, guys. <laughs> so Yeah, he, uh, he was born in Australia and lived there until he was 14. And then his family moved to Arizona to, you know, for better opportunities basketball-wise. And so he played high school basketball in the Phoenix area. And then went to University of Arizona for a year, and the Mavs drafted him after you know after a one and done season at Arizona. Well, that was one guy I was looking through the roster, and I go, I have no idea who that guy is, like yeah. almost no right. idea. So yeah, he played play. he played sixty some odd games, I think, last year. Yeah. You know, he was not in the rotation early in the year, and then he got into the rotation by the early part of December. And in the regular season, he was a eighteen minute wing player off the bench essentially from the beginning of December until the end of the year. And he was also the uh, key to a lot of people's frustrations with Carlisle. Yeah, I mean, well, one of many. One of many young players that were the key to people's frustrations with Rick in his time. I had no idea JaVel McGee was 270 freaking pounds. Yeah, he's uh, he's seven feet tall, man. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. But, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, look, you can be yeah. tall. Like, uh, I, well, I mean, Chet Holmgren is certainly nowhere near 270 pounds. Right. Sha- Shaquille was over 300. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> so I think uh, there was another. I just always pictured him as a slender guy. Yeah, no, he's a pretty meaty dude. There was something else that you asked a minute ago whenever Brad was saying something about Josh Green. You, you asked something to Jacob. There was something else about the Mavs, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I'm so sorry. I fucked that up. No, it's okay. Oh, just I was just looking at the roster, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm excited to see Hardaway come back, especially since he's oh, yes. one yes. million yes. years. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's what I wanted to address. I'm, yes. I'm glad you brought yes, that Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. I wanted because, to call that too. Because he was a 39% on a high volume of attempts three-point shooter two years ago. And then last year, just never really got on track. I mean, he had some good games, obviously, but just was not nearly as consistent. And I think whenever he got hurt last year in late January, he was something like 33.7, 33.8 was his three-point percentage after it had been over 39 on a Mm -hmm. high volume of attempts the year before. So they did miss that last year, and obviously they figured it out with their playoff run, but they, they missed somebody who could provide some more offense and who was, uh, you know, a consistent feared three point shooter in the way that he was in the playoff series against the Clippers the year before. So that is something that will certainly, you know, going into the year, you have to look at that as a plus from the Maverick team that was in the playoffs. One thing we kind of look back at is, well, they didn't have much in the way of offense off the bench. If Dinwiddie didn't have a big game, scoring the yeah. ball then there was yeah. no offense to speak of off the bench unless it was one of those nights like when Kleba hit you know the eight threes yeah. and had 25 points in that game against the Jazz in the first round I think it was game two yeah the game two the game the first game that they won after they lost game one his three-point shooting performance was a big part of winning game two so you know I, I think that's one of the th- reasons they feel excited about their bench this year is because Wood if in fact he's coming off the bench and Hardaway bolster something that was an area of, you know, weakness. Unless Dinwiddie was good, it was, you know, it was certainly an area of weakness in the playoffs. Yeah, one of the dumb reasons I thought the Mavs were going to win it all last year is because of Tim Hardaway being injured, and I just said that he was this year's Karan Butler. Karan Butler, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. That is yeah. kind of, that's something that gets overlooked with that title team is they did that without Karan Butler, who I think was, like, 
one of their leading scorers before he got he hurt that year. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was an incre- one of many incredible storylines. <laughs> yeah. What if he would have ruined it too? Right. Like yeah. just having yeah. it there. <laughs> Yeah, he, he takes the ball from Dirk in the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. He starts shooting. Ruined it is a weird. It is is is. It's not the word I would use for it, but I do think that you bring up an interesting point of everything fell together so perfectly, and everybody had like these incredible roles that they played to a T. And you know, I, I don't remember if you guys. I don't know if you guys remember a lot of what I was saying on the ticket at that point in time, Mm -hmm. but that year, what I thought was the essence of that run was that it was a group of veteran players and think of guys who had been all-stars were, or had been all-stars in their career. Obviously Dirk was still an all-star level, but uh, Jason Kidd, multi-time all-star Sean Marion had been a multi-time all-star. Peja Stoyakovich. I was about to say Peja. Yeah. Jason Terry had not been an all-star, but he'd won six man of the year. Tyson hadn't been an all-star, but he was going to end up having one all-star appearance, you know, later on in his career and his time with New York, but he still had accomplished some things in his career. And so you had this group of veteran players and a lot, many, many of those guys had individual accolades in their career. They already had a bunch of those and what they all didn't have was a ring. And I just thought that that brought the best out of everybody and you think well, you would think well everybody's playing at their best in the playoffs aren't they but i do think that there is this like little imperceptible difference between you know being 92 percent invested in everything that you're doing and being like 100 percent totally locked in giving yourself to the team in every way possible during a run i do think there's this little imperceptible difference to the eye but it's just being around it. I felt like that I was I was seeing it and feeling it. And then when you have these games that are decided sometimes by, and I know the Mavs had a lot of playoff blowouts, a lot of out of character, uh, not close games in the playoffs. But a lot of times the playoffs are defined by games that are decided by two or three possessions at the end. And, you know, I think that that little bit of extra intangible focus, desire, willingness, realization that, we've got to do it now or we may never do this in our careers. You know, I just think that can be the one thing that can make the difference in those two or three possessions in a game to put you over the top. And that's something I've always looked back at with the Mavs title team. So to your point, Brad, I mean, you never know if, I mean, Karan obviously would have been great, but you know, does he miss a shot when somebody would have made a shot or something like that? You just never know. And I think you can't mess with the butterfly effect. You you can't mess with it. Everything Mm -hmm. fell into place so perfectly that you just never know how the introduction of one other thing into it might have just, you know, changed the balance of things just enough where it didn't turn out the same way. You just never know. So what you just said about that 92% versus 100, I think that's a learned skill. And I wonder if that's the series where LeBron really learned it, watch, watching them or losing to the Mavs. Maybe so. Yeah. I think there's that, that's an interesting question you pose. And LeBron, I think, to be honest with you, I think he's sort of alluded to that through the course of his career, yeah. that there are things that he learned out of that series with the Mavericks that made him a better player and was maybe the final piece to the puzzle to him getting over the hump as a champion. You're welcome, LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> I just... always, you know, and, and he did say this in some interviews. 
I always felt like, and maybe maybe this has worn off a little bit, but you know, there for a while, whether it was with Miami or whether it was with Cleveland, the Mavericks in regular season games like lost nine or ten straight to LeBron, yeah. LeBron teams, whether it was Miami or Cleveland after those finals. And I felt like that for a long stretch of LeBron's career, whether or not the faces, you know, the faces would change, but the uniform always get his attention in a certain way. And I think, you know, again, I think there's interviews where he sort of alluded to that, that he always, you know, the, you know, he learned great lessons out of that series. So the Mavericks were the cause of like something very painful for him in his career. And so there was a stretch of time in his career when he always got a little extra motivated to play against them in regular season games. And I mean, he was part of just destroying the Mavs in some games in 2013, yeah. 15, that time frame. For sure. He can, he could have won 10 more, but we got them that one time, you know, I, that's, that's always yeah. with me. It's a beautiful thing, man. You know, he could have won them all thing. after that, but we got them that one time. That was just, yeah, I still get chills about that. Um, Brad, do you have any more basketball? Uh, I got one about uh, Deshaun Stevenson. Uh, I did look what? up because we started knocking out those names and I go, Oh, Deshaun Stevenson. I got in my head and I, yeah, he just okay. recently, he recently sold his ring for, uh, uh, no. 73,000. Oh, he sold his ring for $73,000, which I don't think and is enough. Taxes on that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I didn't know that, man. I didn't, I did not yeah. know that. You didn't know that? Yeah. It was pretty big news. No, I, no. I, I didn't and, know, uh, I didn't know the, I didn't know the amount. I had to look that up, but I remember that he put it up for auction. So poor guy. Has he played in the big three? Hmm. Uh, yeah. The took his talents to the big three where he led, uh, da, ba, da, ba, da. yeah. Yeah, had a bunch of yeah. He had uh, led the big three and three pointers made back in 2018. Yeah, so I knew I thought he had played. I didn't realize it had been that far back. But yeah, he played in the big three, and I had no idea that. Uh, I guess the financial situation forced him to do that. That's sad, man. How much would you sell your Mavs ring for? <laughs> uh, I would want more than seventy-three thousand. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. It off, it's got to be a little yeah, bit more a, than that. That's a, yeah, that'd be tough. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice keepsake. So, yeah, I would want a little bit more. Yeah, really? Yeah, no joke. Well, if you want to give it away, I'll take it. 